I'm your host, Erin Groves, and this is where your positivity journey starts. Welcome to the Pop Podcast. Hey, 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 guys, and welcome back to the Pop Podcast. I am your host, Erin, and everyone's favorite guest host is also on Mike in Florida. Say hello. Hello. <laughs> welcome back once again. We're going to have to add his name into, into the bio here soon. <laughs> and Mike so generously introduced me to another one of his good friends that we have on the podcast today. And he's going to do a full introduction, um, but just high level. His name is Ron Taylor, and he has owned and franchised a few edible arrangements throughout Ohio. So without further ado, Ron Taylor is on the podcast. Introduce yourself. Who are you? Well, I am Ron Taylor, originally from West Virginia, relocated to Ohio. Uh, that's how I got to meet Mike is when I relocated for a job in the pharmaceutical industry. Um, did that for, you know, I had an extensive background in food service uh, before I did that uh, and then did about nine or 10 years in the um, pharmaceutical industry. While we were doing that, my wife and I started edible arrangements, franchise locations here in Ohio, got to about three of those, went out on our own. At one time, had eight of them in three different states. Uh, while we were doing that, we decided we would add some fast casual restaurants to our repertoire called The Simple Greek. So we had three of those. Uh, so we had 11 total businesses all at one time, uh, of which we've divested of some, kept some, uh, added some more, done a couple of different things. Um, but I mean, essentially, long story short, uh, you know, most of, of my um, career has been in some sort of food service type of industry, again, except for about a nine year stint in pharmaceuticals, where that's kind of how I got to know Mike and, uh, and, and learned uh, through, you know, through Mike, some of the school of of hard knocks and how you, you know, you just got to kind of gut it out and try some different things and do that. So that's, uh, you know, part of the way that kind of ended up here with where we're at right now with um, five edible arrangements locations and three simple Greeks that will no longer belong to me as of October the 4th, because they will sell uh, to another company. And then, uh, you know, we'll go from there and see what's next. Yeah. I'll give you some background on Ron and I, I mean, we really, we enjoyed the early part of our career, but kind of slowly ended up kind of at the same place, you know, where towards the end, we're sitting around going, you know, I'm not sure this is for us. You know, how do we get stuck here so long? Are we ever going to leave? You know, and I think eventually, and I'll tell you, Ron's a lot smarter than I am. Uh, you know, he graduated college with honors, probably a, a numbers guy, but he's got quite a personality too. Um, but uh, yeah, we would sit around and just kind of go, think we were so much smarter why are we still here and then eventually we just had to say okay if we think we're so smart uh we're gonna have to go out and, and prove it because right now people are getting promoted faster than us that we aren't real uh excited about we're starting to take orders from people uh you know so by the time we were regional slash regional managers uh you know for uh, for a few years we were ready to go i mean we had we had a guy from Duke, I think that was, you know, your counterpart. Um, we liked, we liked him, but I mean, we had, there's some, some pretty smart guys in the room, but uh, there was also some guys that were definitely angirls for that matter that we kind of questioned, you know, are, are these the ones that we're supposed to be taking direction from? 
Yeah, there, there was an area business director that worked for us. I mean, and there was only six of those in the United States. I wouldn't let that guy be a delivery driver at Edible Arrangements. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave him un- unnamed. No, no, I'm, yeah, I'm not going to say his name. In. No way. That may have been, yeah, that was probably the, the deciding, uh, the push for, for both of us. Yeah. Uh, I think I left first and you were shortly thereafter. Yeah, not far that, behind. That two years with him. Oh, man the the corporate world so on a little more serious note why did you make the switch you kind of just touched on it you know taking orders from other people but starting from the beginning was entrepreneurship something that you had in mind throughout college and while you were working or was it something that you started to think on and ponder on as you went through the corporate world and just realized maybe this is not for me well it's weird right because my dad was in business for himself, right? Like my dad owned restaurants and I worked for my dad. Uh, and I was always working for my dad in restaurants. And I kind of saw everything that he went through and how like he was kind of always on call. And and we owned a catering business. My dad would go to work at 4.30 in the morning and not get home until 10 or 11 o'clock at night. I worked for him. I would work 70 hours a week uh, in the summertime. And, you know, I was like, in a, I was in high school, you know, so I, I saw how hard it was. And I remember specifically saying like, man, I just want like a job where I can work nine to five and go home and I can shut it down. And like, you know, I want a corporate job because this is too hard and blah, blah, blah. And I remember specifically saying that to other people and things of that nature. So, you know, accounting degree, got a job with a big six accounting firm. I lasted nine months. You know, my, Mike was right. I, I, I was fortunate. I, I graduated with, with in the top 1% of my college class. I was good in the books. I mean, that was a strong suit for me. Um, and, the, and then I got that job and it was, it was terrible. Like it was awful. I lasted nine months. I went back to working in the food service industry, uh, which was brutal. Uh, but I did a lot of different things in and around food service and franchising. Uh, and then it, you know, I, I, I fought the urge to do any type of thing or go out on my own because, again, I, I didn't want to be always at work until I realized I was working really, really hard and making all the people above me more money than me. And I felt like I was smarter than they were. Or, you know, what I mean, like, I'm like, why am I putting in all this effort when I'm not reaping any of those rewards? Right. So, and, and Mike and I had many, uh, you know, late cocktail at a meeting in Arizona or somewhere else looking at each other being like, what are we doing? Like, why are we doing, you know, like, so finally we just had to get to the point where we were going to pull the trigger. Uh, And before I did it, before I left the farm industry, I bet you I had 30 conversations with my accountant, making sure that I could make okay money because I was such a, you know, a chicken about the whole thing. Um, And the thing that I didn't realize at the time was how much dramatic how much more dramatic the business was going to operate effectively when i committed to it full time right because i had kind of one foot in and one foot out we started three of the businesses and 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 i wanted the security of that salary but then you know when i finally pulled the trigger i, I remember clearly the day when i finally decided i came home from a ride along and i got chewed on by a dude who was like 10 years younger than me and not impressive, right? But he was just harping in my ear all day about how terrible I was at my job. And I was complaining to my wife and she turns around from the kitchen sink and goes, just 
effing quit. Just, I don't care. We'll figure it out. Quit. Cause I'm tired of listening to you complain. And I'm like, I resigned the next day. Like I, I the very next day I, I was like, okay, I'm out. And, um, it, it was it, like the business went like this, like literally wow. once I was there every day and I was fully invested and invested with all the employees and understanding the operations and everything. And, and I didn't come in like some sort of CEO at edible arrangements. I mean, literally the first year I made the baskets, like I dipped the chocolate, like I delivered arrangement. Like I was just an employee because I didn't think I could run it the right way unless I understood like the bones of the business and how it did it. But it was just finally taking that leap. Um, and, and luckily, like, and, and I bet Mike has the same thing. I have an incredibly supportive spouse who, you know, has nothing but the utmost confidence in me. And, you know, when once, and, and that was pretty much the only one, because my parents thought I was crazy. <laughs> that I was leaving a six-figure income, you know, steady job. They're a different generation, right? Like, oh, collect yeah. your check, you know? So my dad was all about it. My mom thought I was nuts because my dad owned restaurants and everything like that. But, um, you know, when you, when you just finally commit, and I think that's where Mike and I finally got to, right? We were like, we just have to commit mm -hmm. and figure out. And in all honesty, hindsight being 2020, if I'd have known what I know now, I would have done it a lot sooner. Because what you start to realize is the failures that you have, and I've had several, they really don't set you back as far as you think you are. You're not out on the street homeless or anything ridiculous like that. Like as long as you just don't make a complete bonehead move, like, I mean, all time bonehead, you're, you're fine. You, you'll figure, you'll sort through it. You know, you'll, you'll get through it. So I, I wish I would have done it sooner, but this is where we're at and it's been okay. Yeah, I think I agree. I think Ron and I, you'll hear a lot of those you know, common themes, you know, he, the transition was difficult because for both of us, it was late, you know, kind of after marriage kids. Um, but also, boy, you know, you scale. And once you once you get into it full time, you have no idea, you know, how how quickly you can have that success compared to when it's kind of your side hustle or something that you're thinking about, you know, in your off hours. Yeah, which it's funny because a lot of the things you just said, Mike said to me multiple times. And this is, I always ask two part questions. But the first is so when you started, you left pharmaceuticals, were you going into simple Greek? Is that what you first started or was it edible arrangements? Um, and then why did you go into that vertical? So what was your initial, like, I'm frustrated at work, but this was your passion or kind of why did you want to go that direction? Well, I was really familiar with franchising, right? I, before okay. I was in pharmaceuticals, my job was actually, I was the director of food service for a convenience store chain. And we had Arby's, Steak Escape, Taco Bell, uh, Godfather's Pizza, Baskin Robbins, and Subways. And I oversaw all of it. Like I had 40 locations, probably about 100, 100 plus employees. And I was like their director of food service. And I was like the only guy in that company that knew anything about food because those are oil and gas guys, right? They know what the cigarette margins mm -hmm. are. They didn't know anything about sandwiches or pizza or anything like that. So I got real familiar because I trained in all these concepts. I mean, one of the best days of my life was driving around in DeLuca's 
limo drinking beers with him. You know, he's he was the he founder of Subway and he passed away relatively young. And I, I got to hang out with him at training. So that, you know, there were things that I got exposed to. It was really interesting. So when I was working in pharmaceuticals, I knew that franchising was a really good area for me right and and mike and i used to talk about this a lot and this was something that i thought mike did a good job when i first got into the industry of kind of mentoring me in uh you know because i know he's kind of mentored you he did the same thing for me because i was very green when i came in to the industry and it was like look man just be self-aware right like that's what he would tell me all the time just just understand what you're good at and understand what you're not good at and and try to find where it is and 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 understand what you're good and i i mean i'm i'm good at being told what to do right give me kind of this framework of what to work within and then i'll take that and i'll i'll drive it right because as a friend but see as a franchisee you don't i'm not a marketing dude i, I don't know how to come up with a, mm -hmm. a marketing strategy but i can take the marketing strategy of the franchise and i can i can max it out right like that's something that i felt like i was really good at so that's why i picked franchising okay and i picked edible arrangements because it gave me the opportunity to kind of pursue that entrepreneurial avenue but it wasn't like nights and weekends i mean the stores open nine to five monday through friday nine to three on saturday and we were closed on sunday so i'm like okay like <laughs> this is much better than a restaurant that's open till like 10 o'clock at night and at the time there were only probably 10 or 12 stores open in the state of ohio so I'm like, I'm going to open one in Youngstown. And everybody's like, man, are you crazy? Youngstown stinks. And I'm like, I'm my town, I grew up in, it has two stoplights. Youngstown has a Best Buy. Like, I'm going to kill it here. <laughs> so ignorance was a little bliss in that, right? So that, I didn't know. Like, I didn't know. So, um, you know, that that's why I did, I did edible arrangements first, and I did franchising and edible arrangements because it was a lot of what I really knew and understood, but it didn't come with quite the level of headaches that full-blown food service really did. Yeah. That, and, that, was a great, that was a great point. Yeah. And a question on that. So for everyone out there listening, and maybe you're out there like, you know, franchising is something that I, you know, thought about going down that route. Will you just give a high level of the different, I know you walked me through this, of the different types of franchising yeah. and the ownership behind that, just for the listeners out there? Yeah, there's a lot of different franchise models out there. I mean, mm -hmm. people think that it's only food service. That's not the case. I mean, there are a ton of, like, there's home healthcare franchising. There's, you know, like, you've heard it on you know, radio, like blinds and, and things of that nature, where you can buy franchise models, where they're going to give you kind of the framework. Mm -hmm. And what's great about franchising is, is, you know, a lot of people think immediately, well, they take a percentage right off the top. A lot of times the percentage they take off the top, they're saving you that in cost of goods because of their buying power and their supply chain. Like if you're going to start a restaurant, like where do you go get the box at? Where do you go put it in? Where are you going to get the bag? What size does the bag need to be? Is it a round bowl? Is it a square bowl? I mean, there's a million decisions to make in a restaurant that franchising saves you all that trouble. So that's, they get a fee for a reason. I've never, ever, ever begrudged any franchise I've worked with their fees because they're there for a reason. So you've got all these different ways of franchising, like different concepts. Food service is what I'm most familiar with, you know, and people always love to bring up Chick-fil-A, like that's their yeah, favorite, right? I was gonna say that. <laughs> the line's like wrapped around the building seven times. It totally different model than what like you're used to. Like if you wanna be full-blown entrepreneur, first of all, it doesn't cost you a lot of upfront money. 
but they take 8% of your gross and 50% of your net, but they absorb all the debt service. They build the building and it is a rigorous, it, you would be in the queue for about a year to be a franchisee. And if you get the store, you probably will only get one. If you're exceptional, you'll get two. And I mean, exceptional, you'll get is there, two. Is there something with Chick-fil-A too, where they can, you, do you really never own the business Okay. No. I, I think no. someone had told me at some point no. they had something really funny with right. their thing where they could take it back at any time or something along those lines. Correct. And if you're, I mean, if you, uh, uh, and you're an owner operator, and when I say owner operator, like you're making chicken yeah, every day, like you're there, <laughs> right? Mike's you're out. not the guy that shows up smoking a cigar in a suburban, like patting everybody on the back. How's hey, everything going? The hard work. No, yeah. you're in uniform. In the building. Well, I, I, think, I think going back to your points earlier, like when you talk about, you know, your self-awareness and what you like and what you are good at, you know, so for somebody getting into franchising, I think what you're saying is basically, hey, listen, look at yourself, look at what you want to commit to, look at your skill set, and then look at all of the different franchises. That's how you're going to kind of navigate your way through that, that process of which franchise is probably right, right for you. And, and that's why I chose Simple Greek as my second franchise, right? They have, when I started with them, they had like six stores, right? So I'm like, I'm, I'm not just going to be a franchisee. I'm going to mold the direction of the brand because I'm going to be the best operator day one. Like, I believe that. Like, and what ended up happening? I eventually ended up running the entire franchise system for Marcus Lemonis. Yeah, touch on that a little bit with, right? with your contact with Marcus Lemonis. I mean, that's right. got to be... You know, pretty cool for everybody who doesn't know. Marcus Lemonis has got a show called The Profit on MSNBC. They're showing that in schools now in substitute of your business class. I mean, my kids come home and what they did. And thank God, because there's nothing that those teachers could have shared with them than an hour watching The Profit for all of you who haven't watched it. Doesn't teach better than whoever's teaching the business class in their high school. So when they came back, we're like, I go, what do you guys do in business class? And they go, we watched the profit. I'm like, oh my God, thank God. These schools are finally getting it. <laughs> Throw Shark Tank on in the morning and the profit on the afternoon and send my kid home. He doesn't need any more information. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that was, like I said, I, I signed up for that, Aaron, specifically because again, like now I'm, you know, now I'm 10 or 12 years into being a franchisee. Like, I feel like I understand mm -hmm. the model. I've got an extensive background in food service. I mean, I ran a Cracker Barrel. Like if you can run a Cracker Barrel, you can run any restaurant in the world. Like if you can do three shifts and you can do bacon and eggs, you can do anything. I don't care. Like if you want, uh, if you want boot camp for the restaurant industry, just go be a manager at a Cracker Barrel. You'll be able to run a restaurant, any restaurant in the world. You'll, you'll be perfectly fine. So I had an extensive background and I'm like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to help shape the brand. I'm going to be the best franchisee and I'm going to shape the brand. So the first store I opened, biggest first week opening in the history of the brand, $56,000 we did in Boardman the first week we were open. We had to rewrite the recipe book on the fly because the stuff that they were doing was only for stores that did like $22,000, $24,000. We were doubling that. So we literally were changing the recipe book as we were open, things like that. So some of that got Marcus's attention because Marcus was the, the the main person driving the force behind that. And he he's also the, the primary, uh, he's the majority stakeholder in Camping World, which is why he's a billionaire because it's publicly traded. Um, and so we had a good relationship with the brand and 
the brand wasn't really operating at the level which he wanted. He wasn't happy with it. So he decided to change direction. And he literally called me. I'm in my basement and it's him. And I answer and he was like, I want you to take over the entire operation. I want you to run the franchise system. So, so crazy. It kind of worked out exactly. I thought I didn't think I'd end up running the system. I thought I'd be like a consultant or I'd have a part-time corporate job for them or something to kind of help steer the direction of the brand, like in operations or something like that. And then I ended up as kind of, I guess you would call me the CEO, although I've never called myself that because I sound ridiculous saying it out loud. But, um, That's going to be your new nickname from now on. I'll put you in my phone as CEO. Great. Perfect. My favorite. Um, I can barely spell it. So, uh, uh, but, but it, and it's been great. And my relationship with him has been great. Right. So it's given, it's opened a lot of doors and opportunities to kind of get to know him and work, uh, you know, on some other projects with him. We've got some projects coming up in the future because eventually I ran the brand for a little while and I sold the entire brand because the best thing for the franchisees were to put them in the hands of a larger franchise organization, a company named WowWorks bought them. WowWorks owns Salad Works, Fruita Bowls, Garbanzo Mediterranean Fresh, and now The Simple Greek. And they're getting ready to acquire another company, although they haven't let the cat out of the bag as to what that company is. So um, I, I kind of got the ship stabilized a little bit. We sold it. Uh, you know, and now we're looking for other projects. But uh, again, I think every time, you know, back to the original question of, I just tried to find things that really fit and suited my personality style. Like, and what, like, cause so like, you know, back to Chick-fil-A, if you're highly, highly risk averse, they might be a great choice for you. Like if you don't mind hard work, you just don't want to, you don't have capital or you don't want to put your capital at risk. They might be a great choice for you. If you want to be the guy in charge who, you know, eventually can grow your business to where you're not working in your business, you're working on your business, they're not a good choice for you. You got to look and find, and there are thousands of franchises out there to fit whatever it is based on your ability to evaluate your own skill set and what drives you. And you, you can find a home. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And on that, you, I want to go a little, a step further on the how. So mm -hmm. I think the thing that stood out, I mean, it's pop podcast for the reason, but your mindset of like, you believed that you could and you did. So from taking that self-awareness of the things that you know in your mindset, how did you, I know you haven't touched on this, but become the number one edible arrangements fran franchise in the country and then take the simple Greek, Greek and branding to where it was? Mindset is one part of it, but how did you really just amp things up and get there? Well, obviously, my dad was in business for himself, right? So I thought he was going to be just this fountain of knowledge, right? When I started mm -hmm. my own business, and he was a hundred percent useless. Like he, it was like <laughs> he was. Sorry, Dad. <laughs> I, and I love my dad. He's great, right? Like he's the best, and he's my biggest fan. But like he opened these business in West Virginia, man. Like you didn't need permits. You could just build things however you wanted to. Like, I, I'm like, you know, I go in to build my first store and I'm like, what do you need? I need a, I need architect. What are architectural drawings? You know what I'm saying? Like, I know. And like my dad, I'm like, dad, I need architectural drawings. He's like, just draw it on some graph paper. <laughs> that doesn't cut it. <laughs> It'll be fine. I can't do that. Right. So, I, I, you know, the good news for me is, I've never really been afraid to ask a lot of questions, right? Mm -hmm. So when it when it comes to the how, right? I mean, 
you know, I, I'm, I'm very much, you know, and I think Mike is very much of this mindset too, is stop thinking about it and just start doing it. Mm -hmm. Like you just got to go do it. And if you're doing it yourself, it's not really costing you a lot of money or anything. Like, I think that's the thing that scares people about business and anything like that. It's like, you're going to lose tons of money. At first, the most thing you're going to lose probably your time, mm -hmm. right? But when you're just getting started, your time ain't that valuable. It, it, my time's really valuable now. Back then, it was worth about $12 now, <laughs> right? I mean, it wasn't, that, wasn't worth that much. So, you know, I just kept asking questions. And then what's great is as you find a guy, that guy introduces you to another mm -hmm. guy, right? Like your architect introduces you to the contractor and the contractor introduces you to the electrician and the electrician introduces you to the plumber. And you go through some of those guys, they don't all stick right away, but as you start to do it a little bit longer, and that's, you know, that's, that's, I think probably the how, right, is now the how is I got a guy for everything. Like if I need a car, if I need an insurance, if I need that, I got a guy that can solve almost every problem, right? And, and when my employees get into trouble, the only thing they don't do, like they don't reach out to me quick enough. They try to figure some stuff out when I'm like, the only value that I bring is all this, you know, information rolling around in my head. And I can solve your problems faster for you if you just reach out to me right away because I got guys for everything, right? So as we worked through the how, it was it was just a lot of trial and error, right? And and really just kind of, I mean, I had like literally six high school kids did the demo for me on my first edible arrangements. Like I got six high school kids in there with sledgehammers and sawzalls and we're just cutting the walls down and dragging them out and throwing them in the dumpster and and just kind of figuring it out right we're laying tile grout lines are crooked it's terrible nobody cares they didn't look at the floor <laughs> it didn't matter right so it was just kind of go 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 like that was the mindset um was just get through it and and i think again i think that's the thing that people hesitate with right is is just activating and 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 taking some and make some mistakes right like mm -hmm. I just like to make small mistakes, right? It's the old West Virginia adage, right? We all shoot guns in West Virginia. Everybody shoots guns. <laughs> you aim small, you miss small, right? You don't aim for the, you know, it's what I, my, we're basketball players in my family. We don't, aim, we don't look at the rim. We look at the tiny little itty bitty hook on the rim when we're, when we're picking out what we want to hit with the basketball. The smaller you aim, the smaller you miss, so we kind of translate that same idea to business, right? We didn't we didn't think of these big grandiose ideas at first. We just aim small and we miss small. So if we made a mistake, it wasn't like one of these tremendous setback mistakes. It was a little mistake that you would just correct it and move on, you know. And I made some mistakes and I cried. I mean, I, you know what I mean? Like there was times when it was really frustrating. Um, but uh, you know, again, you just we just kind of kept moving through it, and we opened the first store in Youngstown. And our first Valentine's Day, we were the busiest store in the state of Ohio for our first Valentine's Day. And we had no idea what we were doing, right? Not a clue. <laughs> but I had a bunch of good people who weren't afraid. And literally, I think we worked till like four in the morning, right? Like, and went home and slept for two and a half hours and came back and worked the next day. Um, you know, and it, it's, it, it kind of, it just kind of grew from there. And, and the reason now that it's gotten better and the reason that, Boardman is the busiest edible arrangements in the system is without a doubt the infrastructure of human beings that I have. I'm, Mike says I'm smart. I, I might be smart to some degree, but I, I'm not as smart as those people make me look. I can tell you that. Like 
they make me look much better than I am on a daily basis. And I try to take really, really good care of them. Yeah, I think that's true in, in all of the companies, probably no matter what size. I mean, certainly I understand it on a smaller scale, but you know, the people make the business and you can look probably for you store to store. I can look complex to complex, you know, and see what makes one better than the other, even though a lot of times they'll tell you all kinds of, I don't want to say excuses, but reasons why theirs is different, you know, whether their market's different or the, in my scenario, the buildings are different, you know, I can look at it and go, uh, I mean, what's glaring to me and what they're saying may be true, but what's glaring is the difference in the people, whether it be their attitude, their work, you know, whatever that that is. But yeah, I would agree with you. I mean, you're as good as the people that you surround yourself with. And that's a, that's a pretty common theme throughout. Like in this era of, you know, staffing has never been more difficult than mm-hmm. it is right now, right? I mean, I think we all know that. That's a foregone conclusion. Yes. In my Boardman store, I have the manager's been there 13 years. The delivery driver has been there 11 years. There's a key employee that's been there 12 years. I mean, that if there's a statistic that I, that I will peacock around, like I'll brag about a little bit, is I've got some very tenured employees. I have a regional manager who's been with me since the first day that I started. And before she worked for me, she had never had a job. Yeah. No job. I mean, hadn't even worked at McDonald's, never worked anywhere. And she's still with me That's and funny. runs the entire enterprise like a Swiss watch and has four kids. The youngest yeah. of which was two years old when she started with me and is graduating from high school this year. They're like my kids. I mean, I have a similar... I have a similar story about my operations manager. I mean, she's been with me since day one. I mean, it was literally a Jerry Maguire moment. Like we left a guy that I was partnered with. I had brought her over to help with that system. And literally when I decided that this was going the direction that he had led me to believe it was going to go, um, it was, all right, who's with me? Nobody's coming. And then Carlin raises her hand. I'm like, we're taking the goldfish. And we were out of there. We started uh, uh, you know, we started day one and she's, she's been with me ever since. And yeah, her kids, is, her youngest is a senior now and graduating college. And it's crazy. It's been a decade or, or a little bit longer, actually. It's knowing to ask, like when to ask for help. And Mike always tells me this. He's like, you're going to get to a place where you need to focus on the things that you're good at. And I kind of goes back to being self-aware. And that's something that, you know, it, I know the things that I'm good at. Um, I'm still kind of growing into that, but then it's outsourcing. Um, So from in failures too, I think is another thing that you touched on, which when you're opening up a business and I deal with this all the time with the podcast and I've talked with Mike about this is like, what if this happens? What if it doesn't go this direction? And he's like, then you're just going to figure out something else. Like it's just putting one foot in front of the other. And we say this on every single episode, just keep doing and stop thinking as much on it, which is something that I've learned is just you can kind of throw a bunch of stuff at a wall, see what sticks. If it fails, keep moving forward. So yeah, well, and it's also, I mean, one of the one of the things that we talk on the last is just like he and Ron touched on is just it's okay to be afraid, right? But it's and we saw we I think you posted a quote along these lines, but it's not okay to stop, right? It's mm-hmm. okay. And I think when you start down any of these paths, you know, whether it was the way I did it, what you're doing, Aaron, or, you know, what Ron did, there's there's lots of moments where you stop and you're like, this part, whatever this is going on is terrifying to me right now. And everything in your body is saying, you probably can't do this, or it's not going to work, or, and 
it's okay to have those feelings. It, you just got to keep, you know, moving, moving forward. And I know some of this stuff is, is cliche, but you hope that if people are thinking about doing something for themselves or breaking out on their own or whatever it is, you hear it enough from enough people, you can go, okay, you know, this is, this is actually, this has happened for a lot of people. It's not just, you know, a quote on a quote board that says, you know, live, laugh, love, <laughs> which none of us need, by the way. <laughs> well, it's like a progressive commercial, right? You don't need that pillow. <laughs> right? like the best. Uh, so yeah, I, I, again, like it's, yeah, there's, there's been failures, right? I mean, mm-hmm. um, you know, edible arrangements, 2018, 2019, two of the worst years I've ever had at edible arrangements. Right. So, I mean, when we started seeing things, that was part of the reason that we started the simple Greek is because, you know, I didn't, I didn't trust that, that, you know, we'd had eight or we'd had, I started in 2006, we'd had 10 years of consecutive growth. I mean, you're not going to keep growing. Like, I, you know what I mean? You got to be realistic about mm-hmm. what, it, and I think that's what kind of separates people that that don't have as many setbacks as some people that others. And I think Mike probably has done this too. Like you got to start to think about like, where are the shortfalls that you can't necessarily control, Mm -hmm. right? There there are going to be some things outside, like the stock market can tank. You can't do anything about that, right? Like if you're heavily invested, you got to be figure out a way, like how can you absorb those losses, right? So 18 and 19 were the two worst years of edible arrangements in a really long time. But I sold two of my Pittsburgh stores for a formidable amount of money and was able to take the proceeds from those sales and basically pay off all my debt service. So I didn't need to make a lot of money in 18 and 19, right? So because I was I was running thin right now. Then yeah. the pandemic hit and our my business went like this. I mean, it wasn't even like 80, it was like 90 degrees. That when the pandemic hit and nobody could go anywhere and Everybody was trying to figure out how to get their products to people. And we'd already mastered delivery because we are masters of delivery. It was off the charts busy for me. I had two stores. That's yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, those are fantastic points because, I mean, it's both sides, right? So as you're moving in these directions and and you can never foresee it, you you just can't, Mm -hmm. you couldn't foresee you know, I mean, you might be able to foresee, you know, growth slowing or something like that, but you're probably not going to foresee your two worst years. And then you're certainly not going to foresee COVID. And the fact that what may have been tragic for some businesses shoots you straight to the moon because you're in the right, you know, business. But the fact of the matter is, is that you navigate through the negatives, you enjoy the, the positives, but if you're never doing anything other than, you know, your nine to five or whatever, you, you don't have the ability um, to enjoy those, those rides. And I think, you know, that's something that maybe I didn't realize before I had started, but looking back now, I mean, I just wouldn't trade that for anything. Yes. You have some, some stressors and things like that, but you know, the freedom that you enjoy and, you know, enjoying, you know, getting both the positive and negatives, navigating through and enjoying the things that you didn't see coming that, you know, make for huge successes. I mean, if when real estate goes down, you know, I'll be in a situation where I'll really be able to take advantage of it because I'm already in that business. I'll be able Mm -hmm. to pick up much bigger multifamilies than I have ever, you know, in the past. Whereas if I never started moving, you know, in this direction, that would have never been an opportunity for me. Yeah. And like what I liked about what we did the most 
is, you know, we have, we have core values, right? Like we, mm-hmm. we have, we have core values that we live by in our organization. Number one is like, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing with wow, right? Like our, our job is to blow away the guests. Like we got to blow you away. Number two, which I think might be actually the most important is change is constant. Get used to it. Ooh, because most that. people aren't very comfortable with change, mm-hmm. right? They're, 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 they're not right. And like, I, like, I'm kind of like, throw it at me, right? Like, what do mm-hmm. you got? So, and we're going to, we never changed how we did things, right? With, we, even though the environment was changing, the main, we focused on our teams and like, I didn't stop paying out bonuses. I didn't stop doing, you know what I mean? Like I kept that team intact through the lean years. And so when our business rocket ship took off at COVID, those people were still there. And so I could take advantage of that. Like while other franchisees in the country, quite frankly, were scrambling because they didn't have human beings. They didn't have any human capital because they'd just gone through two of their lean years. What they did wasn't wrong. It wasn't, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but we stayed kind of true to what our core values were right throughout the entire thing. And that's how we got to core value number seven, which success isn't a goal. It's a byproduct, right? Like that's what we try to get all the employees to recite all the time. Like you can't set a goal of saying, I'm going to be successful. Like who isn't setting that goal? Like that's- right? <laughs> You'd be shocked. That's, I'm just kidding. <laughs> right. It's a byproduct of all the other things that you do. The success is the byproduct of how you execute. Do you care about every order? Do you do you deal with the complaints? Because you're going to make mistakes. Like all these different things that you do. So we are constantly like on them about the core values, about like, hey, look, it's not just this cool sign up on the wall. Like we want to live this. Like this is how we want to operate. Rob, those are great business lessons. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and just, you know, I mean, you basically said do the right thing, right? When you keep your employees yeah. through a time when it's struggle, when you have the opportunity to say, well, you know, we're going to pay you, you know, a portion or we're not going to be able to bonus because, you know, COVID or lean times or whatever this may be. But, you know, you if you have the ability, right, like you said, it's not wrong. If you don't, but if you have the ability to do it and you choose not to be prepared for the consequences on the backside when things get better, like you said, you, you got no employees or they, you know, they decide to stay home and take unemployment because they can make more money doing that, whatever the case may be. But if you're doing the right thing, you're going to have long-term employees and you're going to have people, you know, through the difficult times that stay with you because you're committed to them. They're committed to you. And this goes back to kind of what we talked about on our last podcast, mm-hmm. which is just relationship first. You know, you do the relationships first, you treat people right. You know, on the flip side, success, you know, follows. You focus too much on, on the end, on the success and not enough on the relationship. Those people leave success, you know, seems like it just can't be, be achieved. Sometimes you can't figure out why, you know, but what you tell people is, you know, go back to your relationship, see what you did wrong there. You'll probably figure out why you missed, you know, your goal, whatever the, whatever that was for you. And, and there, and, and there was a lesson born in the pharmaceutical industry that Mike had to, you know, hit me, knock me around a little bit with, he's like, I don't care how good you sell off of that clinical trial. Like at the end of the day, people buy from people they like. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. And it, it was like, it, they can indoctrinate you to believe that this information that you're selling is wonderful, but they all work, right? They're all FDA approved. Like, let's not get off the range with that kind of thing. You know, and when you're young and coming into it, I mean, I was only in the industry 18 months when I got promoted. Right. So I was still like, you know, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> Deer in headlights. 
Yeah. Yeah. yeah I it's really a big corporation. Like, I, they got big, you know, rah-rah meetings. They're telling you all these things. I mean, you know, for a while. And then you're like, wait a second. It kind of feels like like King talking to the minions <laughs> down here after we've been sitting in that crowd watching these meetings for a while. It all starts to seem like Groundhog Day and sound the same. And you're like, okay. <laughs> starts to dawn on you like, right. yeah, they pay me pretty well. <laughs> I think he makes... Thirteen million dollars, and yeah, I'm making six figures, but but it was a lot of money. I always said, and Rob could probably agree with this. Like, those are not those were us problems, not a job problem. Mm -hmm. Those jobs are great, and they're great for a lot of people. Um, Yes, they just they they didn't fit for us. I mean, back to kind of self awareness, right? There's lots of people that do that their whole life. I mean, have a have a successful career, and you know it'll it'll be great and and they loved it, you know almost every minute of it mm-hmm. um but being who we we were we felt a different way we weren't okay with it all we thought there was more out there and so that's why we kind of transitioned out so if yeah. you have those feelings and you're listening to this i mean <laughs> maybe maybe hone in on that and then try to narrow it down to what it is that you're really interested in or what that you're, what, you know, Aaron talks a lot about passion, you know, what you're passionate about. See if you can make money with that passion. Um, and if you can't, you know, maybe there's an interest that you can make money with and, you know, narrow it down and then get started in it. It doesn't have to be a giant risk and then just kind of move in that direction. If you start to see some success with it, that'll be your sign to transition full time. A lot of times once you do that, takes off like a rocket because once you can put hundred percent of your time mm-hmm. and energy into something that you have interest in or that you're passionate about, there's really no stopping you. And when you're in those jobs, right? Like, I mean, I think the one thing Mike and I did is even though we were in those jobs and we really wanted to be somewhere else, we didn't dismiss everything that was going on around us, right? We were still yeah. learning from what we were doing. I mean, Mike and I both had a boss. She was a female and she was fantastic in my opinion because she was Absolutely. the one she was the one woman in my life that I could not bs like I could not like I'd spent my <laughs> whole life being able to just talk my way out of every situation kind of talk my way around any boss making him think that I was really good right i mean my mom taught public speaking for 30 years so like i could you know i could i could wordsmith it no problem but she would ask me question and then another question and another question and before you know it my house of cards crap just <laughs> crumbled and and what i learned from that is like i learned from her how to mm. do that to people now that work for me yeah. like if it wasn't for amy i wouldn't know how to do that like she was tremendous in that respect i like, agree oh, and and i'll tell you uh like if i mean had she gotten the promotion that I think she deserved, which was regional director, or I'm sorry, area business director at the time, I we would have followed her right along. I may still be in corporate. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> no question. No question. It, it was really that transition that I was like, oh, shit. Mm-hmm. Like, if she's not my boss, because she protected me, you know, because I was always kind of outspoken and, you know, you know, they tell you what you should do. And I'd talk about why it doesn't make any sense. And then, you know, she'd always insulate me from that corporate, you know, backlash, like, and uh, when she, when my little buffer went, you know, and I started getting it, you know, full, full force, you know, do what we say, we don't care what you think. I was like, okay, you know, that's, I've had enough. And uh, had she been there, you know, and I got promoted one more time. And then, you know, and this is kind of just like a life lesson, then you make, a certain amount more money, right? Now the transition's even harder. So 
you know, back to kind of the transitioning into something that you have interest in or that you're passionate about when you're young. It doesn't mean you can't do it when you're older. It's just easier, you know, when you're young. And mm-hmm. the more kind of promotion, success, money you make, the more difficult it is to leave, particularly if you're the kind of person that likes to consume, right? So now you have a, a house that you have to pay for and you're, you know, two Mercedes, you know, you have cars you have to pay for. So now there's not all this, you know, free money laying around, you know, where you can make a transition easily and still live the same quality of life because most people kind of step their quality of life up as their income increases. Um, and when I look back, one of the things that I didn't do was that uh, to a, to a large degree, which again, made it, made it a, a bit or made, gave me the ability to, to transition, you know, out of it, you know, had I, Pushed myself, and there's actually a house that I almost bought. And I don't mean to ramble on here, but had I gotten that house, I probably would have stuck in that job too because it was expensive, and I would have had to keep that job to pay the bills. Right. So thank God that that didn't work out either. So there's some shit that just happens along yeah. the way that uh, kind of leads you down the path you're supposed to go. Yeah, and and Aaron, I hope people are listening to this kind of podcast, right, and looking because there are people around. You know, I don't want to shine mine and Mike's shoes too much, but like. If you ask us for help, we'll help you. Mm-hmm. Like, like we want to see people, you know, young people figure it out. Like I'm very, I have a young kid who is, he's my IT guy. Right. And he came to me, like he did his first IT job for me at the simple Greek. Cause we couldn't get the digital menu boards to work. He was so young. His mom had to drop him off. He didn't have a mm-hmm. driver's license. Okay. <laughs> So, so now I've got this young kid kind of in my circle here in my vortex and he's doing all this stuff. He's super great technology wise. And I'm like, look, this is the future of everything we do is going to be based around technology. So like, just, I'm like, what are you going to do next? He's like, well, I'm gonna go to college. I'm like, why? He's like, well, I'm gonna go to medical school. I'm like, do you want to save people's lives? Like, I mean, are you, are you passionate about saving lives? And he was like, no, it's just a good living. And I'm like, what are you doing? You're going to be $250,000 in debt. Like, I, I mean, you're doing right now what other people can't do. You're going to be on the operating table of their computer as opposed to their heart. And it's going to be just as important to them. I'm like, let's think about what you really want to do, right? So he kind of changed directions. He ended up being the director of IT for Simple Greek. Done it up. Long story short, fast forward today. Today, he told his company that he's taking another job. He's 22 no degree. And they said, we'll give you equity in the company and pay you a hundred thousand dollars if you'll stay. Yeah. And he turned it down and went to the new company. Wow. That's right. I mean, yeah, it's a great story. I mean, so we can get these people in our vortex and help them. Like I want to see other people succeed. Right. I mean, that's the great thing about, and Mike can speak to this, the, the, the better off you, you know, kind of the better off you do, the more you want to just see other people do really well too. Yeah, no, 100%. I think even as a divisional manager, I felt that way, you know, with the sales team. I mean, you wanted to, you know, you you wanted to, you were within the, you know, confine, but, you know, you had a chance to develop people, make them better as both people and salespeople. And, you know, now, you know, on this platform, it just expands it, right? You're not just limited Mm -hmm. to your sales team. Anybody that, you know, wants to talk to you about, business or real estate or, you know, and, and you know, as much about commercial leases probably as I do just, you know, being in that business. And one of the things that happens to a lot of people that start a business is they become, you know, 
millionaire real estate owners, you know, if they, you know, because they own their buildings, a lot of people decide they lease them and are more focused on the business side, but it's certainly something, if you know, it's, it's permanent, you see it all the time. You know, a lot of times with, you know, even physicians, lawyers, dentists, you know, they all bought their building when they started and now they've got, you know, million plus dollars in real estate just from holding their business in the the building that they would have rented from someone. Yeah. I mean, is it an accident that the most successful edible arrangements in the country right now is mine and I own the building? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, (laughs) no, it's the only, it's the only drive-through in the entire system. Like I have a drive-through window, right? And when I told the brand that I was going to buy the building and put in a drive-through window, they're like, well, we don't have a, we don't, we don't have a platform for drive-through. I'm like, well, you will when I finish. Yeah. We figure it out. Yeah, I mean, there, there, there's some sort of like, uh, I mean, I forget what the stat is. It's up, uh, it's upwards of 90 some odd percent of all multimillionaires either have real estate mm-hmm. or are invested in real estate, you know? So it's, it's an asset class that, you know, everybody should have, everybody wants to use or should use, whether it's for tax advantages or building long-term, you know, equity slash wealth. But, you know, that's kind of a whole sidebar. I don't know how I keep coming back to real estate all the time, <laughs> but uh, maybe because Go it's figure. the only thing I know anything about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say, it's interesting because I know for me, Mike and I first met, he was owner of my bar. And I would say the one thing too that I really admired about him was that he was always open to feedback and always open to learning. And it's just so from someone that's, you know, 25, wants to be an entrepreneur, wants to take that next step, like is is trying those things every day. You kind of put people like you two, like CEOs of these companies on a pedestal until you sit them down and you talk to them and you realize that they're still trying to figure it out too. Like you guys are both, you know, running real estate and edible or all this stuff. And like you're still learning each and every day. I mean, you have people that are helping you, but it's just, there's so many learning lessons. And, you know, for me personally, that's why I've become so passionate about this platform is because you have conversations like this and you realize that they're just normal people with a, a passion and a drive. And to kind of touch on the corporate, that's definitely something that I talk to Mike about all the time is you can get stuck, but it kind of you get to this point where like, I'm happy because I'm in my comfort zone. I'm making money to pay the bills. I'm doing this. And I actually listened to something the other day that was like being stuck at that kind of quote unquote good is one of the worst places to be because you're just in your comfort zone. And the most growth happens when you step out of that and you enter into a place or a direction that you're being challenged. And both of you are, you know, a testament to you're comfortable. Things are going well. You're making big commission checks. But once you stepped out of that, your success was came in tenfold. So, oh, and and I mean, you have to like, if you look at people that have success early on, I think that's like job success. It's great, especially if you fit that that mold. It's a detriment if you have an entrepreneurial spirit because it can get you stuck, mm-hmm. you know, in that you can put whatever number would make you happy. I think it like when you're young you have a number and you're like, if I made that, oh my God, that, that would be it. Like call it 250, whatever the number is. Right. And that's, if you, if you are, if you like, you know, corporations and you like your work or whatever it is, and then you, that's great. If you're an entrepreneur or you have that spirit, it can keep you stuck there, you know, forever, just to kind of touch on what, what you're talking about as far as, you know, getting stuck in corporate. And then as far as like, you know, people that you want to talk to. I mean, I would, again, yeah, ask anybody questions. I mean, Ron could probably attest to this. Like, I don't feel any 
older than I did when I was, since I was probably (laughs) 28, 30. I mean, we're really just kids pretending to be adults up here. And once you start talking to us, you figure it out pretty quickly. You know, the only thing we've had is just more experiences. So we know things from, you know, experiencing it, but you don't feel that much different. You do feel, I mean, I feel a lot of times, you know, when people come to me and start asking me questions, oh, you did this. I mean, like, I feel like I'm pretending to be a grown up. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's almost laughable. I, I, yeah, I feel like a kid all the time. Right. And then I'll get into a conversation and I'll have somebody ask me about starting a business and I'll start rolling them through like the permitting process and everything that they got to do and da, 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 da. And I have one of those, remember in old school where like he's talking on stage against Carvel and he like blacks out and says all this stuff. And, yeah, and, and then he's like, he like wakes up and he doesn't realize it was the most eloquent thing. It was like the perfect answer. And you're like, man, I, yeah. I, I know a lot of, I don't know about more stuff that I give myself yeah, credit for. Right. Yeah. So, it, but, but it's only when you have those aha moments, other than that, you know what I'm doing? I'm playing basketball in the mornings with my buddies every day. And then I'm drinking beers and watching a game. Every, you know what I mean? Like just a kid, like, yeah, I don't yeah. feel that grown up. And I mean, and as far as like feedback, like, you know, Mike giving you this feedback and you're talking to him like you're a regular guy. I mean, I attribute a lot of my ability to absorb critical feedback without getting my feelings hurt because of Mike and what we called airing of the grievances at, uh, <laughs> at media. Oh, gosh. Right. Like, and we, and we would just wreck each other. I mean, it yeah. was rough, like yeah. bam. Right. So, <laughs> But and 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 I mean I can vividly remember sitting in the JW Marriott in 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 my first time in Arizona and just getting killed, you know, <laughs> like. And the greatest thing about it is is it was one of those aha moments where, like, brother, you you are not as cool as you think you are just because <laughs> you got promoted at this that company presentation so much. because they were so damn desperate for staff and you just happened to be able to, you, you had a good day in an interview. Like that's the only reason you're here. A good day in an interview and you lived in the right geography. (laughs) (laughs) You live in Youngstown. So we'll take that presentation that you just gave was terrible. So don't don't think it was so great. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Awful. Didn't make any sense. So, I I mean, that was, and we did that to each other. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, I think the people that could really take that and like digest it, they, a lot of us went a different direction. You know, the people who really got their feelings hurt, maybe cried a little bit. Went back to their rooms. Yeah. They weren't, they weren't, they weren't built for Right. And again, that's nothing wrong with that. You just yeah. got to know what you know and know what you don't know and find that, find that sweet spot. But for me and Mike, I mean, it was us being hard on one another. Like we were hard on on one another. And, and looking back at it, like it was, it was really, really good for me. Right. Because, you know, it, it, the biggest, like, although I do still feel like a kid, the one thing I can tell you that's much different in my mid forties, as opposed to my mid thirties is I know that I don't know everything. Mm-hmm. I knew everything in my thirties. Like I was a genius. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now I'm not like, I, I, like you said, I'm learning every day. Mm-hmm. Like I'm just trying to be in and around the room of other people that I can learn from and just listen and pay attention. Um, and then when I'm around other people that want to listen, you know, I, I try to give them fair and balanced advice. The older we get, the, the less we're sure about. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Mike always says that when you, Mike, what's your a famous quote? Like when you, the people that think that they know it all. Oh yeah. Are the people. Have no way of finding out they don't. Yeah. I have no way of finding out. Yeah. And I Those think who it, think they know it all have no way of finding out they don't. 
Yeah. Which is so, and the thing is, is that you do find a lot of leaders, and I'm not bashing corporate, but most leaders that I think have that mindset are in the corporate world. I've met so many entrepreneurs that are always willing and want to give people the time of day and want to say, you know, I did this, this, and this. I mean, I, I interview guys all the time and I'm always trying to set up new interviews. And I think there's always been, you know, a helping, serving, learning want from them and they want to give that advice. I mean, that's why you're on the on the podcast. And Ron, from your perspective, when you were starting and, you know, building and ramping up edible arrangements, I think it can be overwhelming. And I know for me personally, I'm going to use myself as a guinea pig. There's so many things you can do. How did you, from your day to day, was it, I'm going to do one thing that moves the needle, three things. How did you kind of go into each day with a plan or what was your mindset around building it in growth? I think we lost. Well, again, since I was working inside of the framework of a franchise, right, they were giving me a lot of tools. So I really just tried to use the tools, right? And then a lot of your business success, in my opinion, is built on the very front end before you start, right? Like I found a 1118 square feet that I could rent for $900 a month, right? I did the demolition and the painting with a crew of high school kids that I could pay $8 an hour cash and pizza, right? So I didn't, when, when I went to apply for the loan, the bank was like, you're going to need $300,000 to build out the store. And I was like, there's no way you're, and, and I ended up building it for $200,000. And I had $100,000 in cash left over that I just had in the bank that unfortunately at the time I was paying 10.5% interest on because interest rates were really high back in 2006. Um, but I did, I think I front loaded it, right? My goal was to front load it and minimize my expenses so that I didn't have to do two or three or $4,000 a day in sales, right? Because I was doing the very basic math. I was on a road where 40,000 cars a day drove by the store. I needed to do $700 a day. So I only needed one-tenth of 1% of those cars to stop. That was, that was how simple the math was for me, right? Like, how do I do this and keep it simple so that I can start small and then just go every day and do the right thing at the right time for the right reason, right? That's kind of the, one of the mantras that we give the employees all the time. Like, you know, guest complaint, right thing, right time, right reason. Like special request, just think about right thing, right time, right reason. Like just do that, do that, do that. Tell the kids the same thing. My kids would be able to repeat that if they were on a podcast, they were like, yeah, this is the thing my dad says. And it drives me crazy. That's all he talks about. So um, I think ramping it up and getting ready was if you're, you know, getting in at the right number and, and being patient, like be, getting in without getting too anxious and, and overgrowing right from the get-go, right? Kind of aim small, miss small. And then the other thing is you have to do this as a franchisee. I cannot emphasize this enough. You have to trust the franchise process. If you don't want to trust somebody else's process, go hang your own shingle and start your own business. Start Ron's fruit baskets, start Joe's hot dogs, <laughs> right? Like if you are going to be a franchisee, you have to do what the, fr- so many people want to get into franchise and then go, I think this recipe is terrible. Then why did you sign up to be a franchisee? Yeah. Right? Like 
like, no, like this is the way we make the, you know, we had, it's a lot, the simple Greek, like we make the tzatziki sauce this way. If you didn't like it, then you should have started your own Greek restaurant. Like this is how we do it. If you don't want to trust that process, right. Then don't do it. Like that is the classic mistake. And that's what burns out franchisees. In my opinion, the fastest is they want to fight the brand. Why did you write them a $30,000 check and give them 5% of your money if you don't want to listen to what it is that they have to say? Because they know it all. I think that's a great point. And I think that makes it a little different from kind of what I do. And even Mm -hmm. Aaron, what you're doing where, you know, I would say like more from like 10,000 feet, like for me, for me, it was growth, right? So I had Mm -hmm. to wake up every morning and figure out what I wanted to do that was most important for growth and make sure that I did that first and did that every day before I got caught up in a bunch of nonsense that would take me, you know, down a path of busyness, but not, you know, efficiency or growth. And, you know, that is hard to do without any kind of, you know, structure. Now you, again, you can look at other real estate and other real estate companies, Aaron, you can probably speak to looking at other podcasts and things like that. But, you know, like for you, Aaron, you probably have to figure out, okay, what would grow the podcast? Okay, mm. I need to do, I need to wake up this morning and do, you know, XYZ, real post, whatever. You know, for me, it was okay, I need to get my list of properties. I need to, you know, I would drive by them, then I would, you know, price them. I put these little models together of, you know, what would make sense and I make offers. You know, that, that was kind of my process. So, you know, I think that's, that's a, that's a great point, especially if someone's specifically looking into, you know, franchising. That's, I mean, that's, that's going to be so important that's one of the hardest things that I've struggled with personally. And I know I've talked with Mike about this is just, there's so many things that you could be doing and it's easy. And I think this is one thing that I've learned in the corporate world. And my says, it's like, you can do a lot of things and be busy, but what did you actually accomplish? And I've had times where I've sat down and I've been so busy. And then I think back and I'm like, what did I do to actually move the needle today? Like, how am I going to generate revenue for this organization? If I'm in sales, like, did I do X, Y, and Z? And it's so true. And it, same thing with the podcast. Like there's so many things you can do, but it's just starting with that one thing. So, you know, for Ron, it was like, you know, trying to get people to stop, whatever it is, it's going to be specific to whatever you're trying to go into. But I think it's really important for everyone out there listening just to set a priority. Like if there's one or two things and it seems so small and for the go-getter personality, me, I'm like one or two things every day. Like what? That doesn't sound like enough. It's going to fail. And at the end of the day, you and Ron just touched on this being patient which yeah. I know is not an attribute I have, but from your perspective, I really don't. Yeah. I mean, I struggle all the, I don't think, it, I think it's a mindset. Like I'm very type A, I'm very much of a good getter. You guys are the same way. It's hard to be patient when you know and believe in something so much. Right. And I think it's important, whether it be in business and especially in franchising is understanding, here's what I loved, understand the model mm-hmm. and what it means, right? And And why did I love the edible arrangements model so much, right? As my first business? Well, food, it was my wheelhouse, right? That's my comfort zone. It's Mm -hmm. my area. I knew it. I got it. Like, but every time you buy a hamburger, you're eating it. Okay. 99% of the orders that I fulfill at edible arrangements are going to somebody else. You're buying it. Mike's getting it. Mm -hmm. If I execute flawlessly, you just paid me to market to my next guest. Most people have to spend money to acquire a customer. I can make money to acquire a point. If I execute 
with perfection. That's why all my emphasis at Edible at the beginning and still to this day, I, my complaint percentage in Youngstown is one one hundredth of one percent. We don't make mistakes. And if we do, we fix them immediately because mm -hmm. you're my next customer. I can't make a mistake for you. I'm getting paid to get you to buy from me. Who does that? I mean, it yeah. is a rare, mm -hmm. rare set of circumstances that edible arrangements give you. And when I try to explain that to like other franchisees, they almost like, they either like have this aha, like <laughs> holy crap moment, or they're just like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Then I, I stop talking to them. I'm moving on to the next person. But because <laughs> you can't, you can't tell the person. Yeah. But like, you're like, don't you understand? Like your guest is funding mm -hmm. your net. They're basically customer acquisition cost negative, mm -hmm. right? Like they love to talk about that on Shark Tank and all these shows and everything. My customer acquisition cost, I, I have customer acquisition profit. Yeah. All I have to do is execute without mistake. And that's why. You know, we have a lot of stuff. Valentine's Day is our biggest day of the year, right? Biggest day of the year. Um, I never turn off. I never shut off, right? And there are stores that I know stores that will shut off for Valentine's Day on like the 12th of February. Like they've got all the orders they can do and they don't do another one. And they're like, how come you never shut off? And I'm like, because every incremental order I fulfill is the person who's going to buy from me the following week because it's going to be Nancy's birthday or their uncle's wife passed away or it's going to be somebody's mm -hmm. coming home from the hospital. Like every person you don't send to, you just lost the opportunity to acquire a new customer and make money all at the same time. How can you not prepare for that? <laughs> yeah, that's great. We'll do a thousand. I'll do a thousand orders in my busiest store on Valentine's Day. Wow! And 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 like I and I run the staff into the ground, and then I pay them every minute of overtime, and then I hand out hundreds. Yeah, because <laughs> they they'll know. It's you know, worth it. yeah, it's a hundred percent worth it. Like it's cr it's crazy, right? Because you know, I paid the the rent was paid on March eighth. Or on February 8th, right? So, I mean, all the fixed costs are done. All you're covering are the cost of the product and the cost of the labor. I mean, you're operating at like a 50% yeah. margin and you're acquiring new people. So, like, it, the more you know about what your business is, like, so, Aaron, maybe in your case, it is the more I post, the more people listen, mm -hmm. the more I get. Like, maybe it is just like... Mm activity like and yeah. and some patience maybe it's just that like in edible it's fulfilling orders and yeah. not making mistakes in real estate maybe for mike it's like having apartments that that people talk highly about because word of mouth is the best way to continue to make sure that you operate at 100 occupancy i don't know because i don't know that market if i had a question about it i'd ask mike um <laughs> but whatever it may be just know what it is right mm -hmm. like know what it is. And then you can, you know, you can make sure that you function around that. So that's why all of my emphasis at Edible is almost, I mean, very little for me in marketing. It's a hundred percent operations and execution because to me, that is the marketing. Right. Which I, you can tell too. I mean, I, the accounting background probably helped, helped a lot. And you hear this all the time. I said, like, identify who your audience is and then go after them guns blazing. And you hear that all the time. Like, who are you trying? What are they doing? How old are they? Are they male or female? Is it this? And then once you figure out that target market and where you're trying to go, it's like just gas 
press the gas and just don't stop and keep going, going, going. And it's actually, I mean, you would think that people, and it's funny when you hear your guys' advice and feedback, because it seems so, you know, not to sound condescending, but it seems so like plain as day. Like, why would you close on yeah. February? You know, like The things that you're saying to me make logical sense. And <laughs> Mike and I always like joke around. Sometimes. Well, that's what's, that's what's so funny about all, both of our businesses is none of it's that, you know, and that, I, you know, I mean, I don't go back to like even lose podcasts, but you know, the stuff that they're saying, it's, I guess it's not difficult to understand, but maybe it's a little bit difficult to execute, you know, but yeah, it's pretty simple. I mean, I think you, we touched on diet, you know, <laughs> no, no, being, you know, fit is not a difficult concept to understand. Now the, act of doing it all is that's why you see fat trainers you know they've got all the information it's the execution that they lack so yeah if none of it is to your point Aaron, rocket science it just you know takes a little bit of consistency and effort to do it the difference between those that say that they will or say that they have this idea and the difference that do and it's just a straight funnel i mean you see it all, I, the number of people are like, oh, I want to start a podcast or I want, I want to do this or oh, I want to do that. My question is like, okay, so when are you going to do it? And Mike does this to me all the time. Like even with TikTok, I'm like, oh, I'll get it. I'll do this. And then I finally did it. It's like, you just have to go out there and do it. And once you do it and start putting the effort in and consistency and just keep going every single day, the results will come. And you know, obviously you two are a testament to that. I'm trying to think. Failure and fear is something that I asked Lou and I think he had a really good perspective and it's something that I think a lot of people can resonate with, whether that's personally or professionally. And it's something that I've been asking a lot of guests. So Ron, from your perspective and your mindset, was there fear when you were leaving your job? I'm assuming the answer is yes. And then how did you mentally get around that or what were things that you would tell the audience on just navigating that? Yeah, I, I mean, I was afraid when I left, right? Because, you, you know, you have payments and you you have this guaranteed income that you're walking away from. Um, you know, again, for me, I'll go back to, you know, I have an incredibly supportive spouse. Like she's 100% in on everything I want to do um, as long as it makes sense, right? She'll be the first one to tell me like, no, I think that's a dumbass idea, right? Like she, <laughs> she'll also be honest with me. So like, she's not afraid to tell me the truth. Um, but, but she's very supportive. And when mm -hmm. she's on board, she, she's on board, right? She doesn't say she's on board and then, you know, complain on the back end. Like when she's in, she's in. So that, that, that helps a lot. Um, and then the other thing is, is like understanding the numbers, right? Like, I mean, speaking of the profit, like I'm, I'm always blown away by watching the profit and Marcus shows up and people don't know how to read their PL or what their cost of goods are or anything like that. Like, you know, I, I, I hedged a lot of my bets it, to mitigate that fear, right? Knowing full well that I only had to do $700 a day to crack, you know, the nut that I wanted to, to make sure that I could pay myself enough to, to pay all my bills, right? I didn't go in and be like, okay, how do I become a millionaire? I'm like, the first thing is like, okay, how do I not get thrown out of my house, right? Like, how do I, how do I cross that bridge first? Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And, and, and then, then we'll go from there. Right. Mm -hmm. Because you would expect it to kind of grow. Like if, if you're doing all the right things and everything like that. And I mean, let, let's face facts, like performance, anxiety and fear is a good thing. Right. Like that, that's not a bad thing. And I tell my managers that all the time, like if you're comfortable and I'm not making you uncomfortable, I'm not helping you. 
Like yeah, I'm getting, you better have some performance anxiety when you show up for me every day. Like I better make you a little uncomfortable. Like if I walk in the building and nobody like kind of scurries a little bit, chances are you, you, you probably, I'm not pushing you hard enough, right? Like you ought to be a little nervous when I walk in. Um, so, so me being nervous every day and having that edge, you know, I mean, there's a lot of people that are tell you, you know, have told me like, oh man, you know, you need to relax. You need to calm down a little bit, especially in the younger years. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm like, Mike, I, I heard him on a previous podcast where he's like, I don't really have regret. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I mean, I, or no, he said, I do have regrets, right? Like, I mean, trust me, I regret being wound as tight as I was. I probably popped off at people, um, you know, more so than I should have when I should have like, you know, kind of searched for understanding and compassion instead of just getting angry right away. But, you know, I think that some of that performance anxiety helped make sure that, you know, we could perform. So while Mm -hmm. I'm not necessarily, you know, proud of some of that stuff, I mean, some of it was probably a means to an end to a certain degree. But, you know, you got you got to give yourself some slack as a business owner. And you got to understand that that you go you go have some really you have some bad days like you have some bad days. Um, you know, so, you know, don't, don't look at it, you know, day by day, you, you know, as far as like, and, and you got to find some ways to compliment yourself and you got to find some ways to hold yourself accountable. So, you know, I did it by looking at the numbers. I've always been a numbers guy. Mm-hmm. Like I got an accounting degree. <laughs> yeah. I failed the CPA exam twice. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, I, I just knew that if I could, if I could just do this, then I could, I could survive. And then we can go from there. Like, and I remember clearly, I'm like, you know, we need to do 5,000 a week. And then like three months later, I was like, we need to do 7,000 a week. And then I was like, well, we really need to do 9,000 a week, you know? <laughs> Keeps bumping up. So, Keeps bumping up. I, yeah. And it, it never stopped. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it never, it never quit. Um, and I think the hardest thing for people to get used to, to, and being in business is it never, it never stops. Like it, it, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like you're never like, I'm done. Right. Like I I remember my kids used to come into the office and be like, dad, are you done? And I'm like, I'm never done. I just decided to stop. (laughs) It's never done. Like it goes on forever and ever and ever. Just if you're not comfortable with that, it's going to be hard to be Mm. on your own. Right. No, but you, you, you'll have to figure out a way to kind of tamp it down and turn it off. So those were all things that I learned, right? And you learn it through listening to other people and watching videos and doing podcasts or listening to podcasts and things like that. I mean, all those things that you do, um, you know, they'll make you better and better. But for me, and I would say for any franchisee, understand what's, you know, what do you really want to get out of this? Mm. And what's, because if you think you're just going to open up and be a millionaire, you're crazy. <laughs> like I've been at this for 15 years and I'm just now finally starting to feel like I'm starting to do well. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I concur. I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of time where you're like, Oh, I'm paying the bills. I'm doing this, but you know, like the fruits of your labor come way down the road, you know, it's just the, the whole overnight success usually is, you know, 15 years in the making. So, um, I mean, I can speak to my two refinances that I just did. And, you know, those are 10 years in the making before you, I pull out, you know, what I just pulled out. And, you know, for a long time, I didn't feel like, you know, it's just recently that, you know, the, the money has come, 
And again, you know, I think Ron got into the same reason I did, which is, you know, more for the freedom. You know, I don't think you get into it for the money. You get into it because you just don't want to do what you're doing anymore. You can't see any real light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, I always say, you know, the weekends were the best for me. I, you know, the mm-hmm. week I hated, you know, I could see that I was going to have the same four weeks of vacation. <laughs> it was just, I mean, it yeah. just, that just went through my mind. I was yeah. literally in my 30s you know, wishing for retirement. I'm like, oh, I can't, you know, I can't wait to retire. Well, you know, that's no time soon. And when you're in your thirties and all you can think about is your retirement, you know, you're in trouble, you're in trouble. You know, you're wishing your life away because you just don't like what you do on a daily basis. Yeah. yeah that's um, that if you're looking forward to the weekend, yeah, you, you, you know, but again, Mike speaks to it, right? Like, and, and it's not just the freedom Right. It is it is the understanding that you can do what you need to do and do what you want to do. It's probably just going to cost you money. Like every time I take off for a week, there's no way things run as well the week that I'm in the Bahamas as they <laughs> when I'm here. Yeah. They just don't. Right. Mm-hmm. But I'm OK with that. Right. Like that's why when you're at work. You have to drive results, right? You got to drive it a little bit better than what you want because for that time that you want to take off, you know that you, you're it's going to cost you money, right? So, uh, and and the other benefit that it, it had for me is I've never missed anything that my kids do, right? Like that. Mm-hmm. That I would say that's probably one of the most beneficial things to me. It took me a long time to get to where I wanted to get to financially, but you know, I have, you know, I've been at more damn school functions than I, I mean, my parents were never at my school, like ever. I felt like I was there all the time, <laughs> right? Because there was always some sort of activity, you know, and even when, you know, even when I got the opportunity to run a franchise system. You know, the, the one conversation I had with Marcus is like, nobody will work harder than me. I will work 70 hours a week. But on Tuesdays and Fridays from 645 until 845, I'm watching my son play basketball. I'm not taking your phone call. If that's a deal breaker for you, don't hire me. I don't care. And he was like, I'm good with that. You know, like that's reason. Yeah. That's not an unreasonable expectation. Like it's, you know, that's that's not what it is. So those are all the things that I love about being in business. Right. But mm-hmm. It's also like, those are some of the real upsides and stuff like that, but there's this constant misconception that it's glamorous and ain't glamorous. Like most of it's not glamorous. Like Mike broke his foot, right? (laughs) Yeah. Right. What what did I do day before yesterday? I literally moved equipment around and replaced a hot water tank with a guy because I didn't want to play a plumber $4,000 to do it. To do it. Right. Like I've cleaned more toilets, unclogged more drains, like clean deep fryers, like degrees things. I I still do it to this day, like Mm -hmm. to this very day. So it's not it's not as glamorous as it likes to be, but it does provide you some freedom if if you can get yourself to the right point. And from an employee standpoint, I mean, if you can show the people that work for you that you're willing to do Mm -hmm. just about any job and in a lot of cases, you know, worse jobs than most, you know, you you can gain a lot of respect from your employees, you know, by doing that versus kind of that management style of just 
sitting up there and, and dictating and then the talk and chatter behind your back is that, you know, all he does is bark orders. He doesn't do anything, you know, around here or he's never around here. I mean, I know when we bought that bar and I actually only bought it because it's on two and a half acres, it eventually will be <laughs> something that someone wants to build on. But in the meantime, the bar services the debt on the property, but the basement was full of mold. And I mean, mold remediation is a it's a huge expense. So, you know, I bought one of those plastic suits and one of those foggy masks and went down there with stuff called concrobium and, you know, Googled on how to do it. And, you know, we moved everything out of there that uh, has to do with, you know, the business. I mean, any HVAC, any hot water tanks, put it all in the attic. Um, And then, but I was down there, you know, scrubbing and just an old building, you know, so there's always moisture down there. So there's always something to do, but nobody wanted to do it. So I was like, what is it? Four hours. All right, here we go. <laughs> yeah. And, and you end up doing things like that all the time. Yeah. Right. And I, and I think that was, that was part of the rub with, with Mike and I in the job, right. Is like when you're working for a bunch of people that don't feel like they can execute your job as well as you can, and you're working for them, that's a hard mental hurdle. Mm-hmm. to overcome. That means it's time for you to probably go. Right. Yeah. And again, like Mike said, it's not a job problem. It's a, it was a me problem. Like, I'm like, I can't live with this. Like, this is, you can't do my job and you're making three times what I make. Like, what am I doing here? I got to go. Yeah. That's one of the hardest things I think to digest and why entrepreneurship has always been. And I say that I'm like, I just don't like, you know, all the, I don't like to be told what to do all the time. That's one thing that I think struggle and you see people and again, it's not, you know, bashing the corporate world, but you see it all the time or you hear from people, you know, this person's telling me to do, you know, ABC and it's, they don't even know how to do it, which I think is, it's just ironic. It's the whole, I mean, I could go on a tangent about this for a long time, Um, but I think it's all, you know, you guys touch on a lot of good things and I know we're kind of getting on time. So to wrap things up, I think there's a lot of takeaways here, whether you're franchising, we know Mike loves real estate um, and Mike actually works hard via his last comment that he was extracting mold for everyone out there. So <laughs> Mike contradict his last. Are we to revisit this on every podcast or I'm going to have to clarify myself on the whole hard work thing? <laughs> We know Mike would rather be on his boat, but that's okay. There he is. I'm just giving you a hard time. Um, so Ron, so as as we're wrapping up, if there's any last, you know, I always like to say, if there's any other takeaways that you would advise people out there, whether it's specific to franchising or whether it's specific to business, what are two to three things that you, pieces of advice that you would give anyone out there listening? Um, I mean, one of them is, is, is something that the two of you all have already touched on all before is like, find somebody like if you're really interested in being in business, find somebody who does business and latch on to them because I got news for you. We love to talk like we love to talk. We love to help. Mm-hmm. We, we love like we love that. Like and the, and the older I get and the more, you know, the more success I'm fortunate enough to enjoy, the more I'm less interested in doing well and the more interested I am in helping. I, I want to help. Right. Like I want to, whether it's people, whether it's animals, wh- whatever the hell, it doesn't matter what it is. Like, <laughs> we want to help, right. So yeah. if you're out there and you're trying to figure out which way that you want to go, latch on to somebody and, and be, you know, volunteer to spend time around them. I'd let anybody intern with me that wanted to like anybody, like, it, and I'll talk to them till they're blue in the face and answer every question. I love talking about business. I love helping people get smarter, 
I love seeing people that want to learn and want to get better. So if you're interested in it, there's tons of me and Mike. There's a bunch of us, right? Latch on to those people because we we like to talk and we like to help. So that that's that's an easy one. And and just understand that it's not going to come overnight. It, it, it's really not. Like I think that was the toughest thing, you know, especially like when because a lot of people that want to do it right, they're they're athletes that performed at a high level, right? They're, they're academic high caliber people, right? They, things have, I mean, let's face facts. Like how hard was high school? I could have gone two days a week and gotten a 4.0. I mean, give me a break. All right. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Someone struggled. <laughs> well, high school is not that tough. Come on. I mean, most of us struggled because we didn't care, right? We didn't care. Like that was just, nobody cared. Right? <laughs> Maybe in Youngstown, Ohio. Liberty High School. In, my wife struggled in high school and then graduated like cum laude from college because she finally started to care because she was writing a check for it every you know <laughs> semester. Um, so, but just be patient, right? Like, mm. be patient because it it really does take a long time to get to where it is that you want to be, and don't wish it away, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think back about it now, and I think you know the journey was some of the was some of the best parts for me. Maybe I didn't enjoy it so much at the time, but like. You know, I got to meet guys like Mike, right? And I got, uh, you know, and Mike and I have, I mean, that was, God, Lord, how long ago was it we met? A long time. I mean, it's, it's a long time ago. years at least. Right? You right? Guys? And, 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 and we, have a, we have a relationship where like, I mean, yeah. we don't talk for six or eight months and then we talk and, and, it's, and it's interesting, right? Like, mm-hmm. and, you know, he just took the time with me, it was probably six or eight weeks ago because I'm looking at a commercial piece of real estate as I sell these businesses. And I'm like, hey, what is a cap rate? I don't know what that is. And like, you know, and he's happy to explain it. I don't feel dumb because I don't know what it is. Like, I just ask, like, right. When people say, Hey, you know anything about real estate? I'm like, no, but I got a guy. I ain't one of my guy. Like I got an electrician. I got a plumber. I got, I, you don't need to know everything. Mm-hmm. You just need to be comfortable asking and admitting that you don't know everything and knowing that it's going to take some time. Right. It's, it's, it's just not going to come overnight. So it, I mean, like I mean, people talk about Amazon and stuff all the time. I mean, that guy lost money for, I mean, millions upon millions of dollars for years. And then people are mad, like he doesn't pay taxes. I'm like, dude, he's still writing off the losses from 10 years yeah. ago. You know, so, so that we can all order shit and get, get toilet paper delivered to us while we're sitting at home. Like we don't need to go anywhere. So Listen, he's got a, he's got a similar story to you. I mean, just about how he decided on books, you know, and, and the fact that it was like the biggest market that was untapped, you know, for online. Cons- I mean, it's just, it's crazy, but yeah. you know, again, he did some calculations and thought, you know what books is the way to go. And it took off. And now God, there's nothing you can get on Amazon. <laughs> and, and yeah. So be patient and, and don't, and don't fear, you know, don't, don't fear slow. You, you know, it's just, you, you, you got to grind it out, man. Like it mm-hmm. is a grind. It is an everyday grind. Right. And it, you don't have to feel bad if, if you're not like, I mean, that, that's something that's, uh, it's funny. I was talking to my wife the other day. I was like, I probably need therapy um, <laughs> because there are times when I'm like sitting on my couch and just kind of hanging out watching TV or like my daughter's there and not paying attention to me because she's 16. Um, and I'm like, man, I feel like I should be doing something. And, and I really, no, I shouldn't. Like I can really, I can literally just sit here. Like, it's okay. It's okay. Like I don't have to fill every minute of the day with some sort of business function or something like that. So, um, you know, it, it's okay to take your time. 
And it, it's okay to struggle a little bit. It's okay to get frustrated. It's okay to be mad. Um, you know, and then as far as like the last thing I would say is my wheelhouse is franchising. And I would reiterate, I said it earlier, if you're going to be a franchisee, be a franchisee. Do what they tell you to do. They will give you a big playbook. You're going to sign a 196-page document that's go- that basically says you're going to do everything that they tell you to do. Just do it. Mm-hmm. Like it, 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 it works. That's why there's a whole bunch of people in the system already. Like you do not have a better recipe for chili than the franchise does. <laughs> you might like yours better, but like this is their make, just do what they tell you to do, whether or not it's window treatments, whether or not it's carpet cleaning, whether or not it's, you know, edible arrangements, or if it's food service, follow, like, if you don't want to follow the system, then go start your own business, right? Be, be more like Mike, like, I'm going to get into some real estate, and I'm going to figure it out. And I'm going to kind of create my own entity and my own, and we're going to have our own employee handbook or whatever it may be. We're going to, we're going to write our own book. That's great. Do that. But if you're going to be a franchisee, be one, buy into it, do it, or don't do it. Right. Yeah. If it's, not broke don't try to fix it you hear that one all the time people trying to and i even hear this at work like trying to reinvent the wheel it's like just stick to what works but you're all all you know all the press they get everything they talk about number one store qsr magazine top 50 mcdonald's this year (laughs) mcdonald's right i mean come on like how many years they've been doing i can't eat that's not good for you blah blah blah. the pickles are too small whatever Number one, they're number one. Number two, Starbucks. Number three, Chick Fil A. Right? I mean, four, six, Chipotle. I mean, they all like these people know what they're doing. Like they've been doing it for a long time. Yeah. So you're not smarter than their entire system. You're not. Yeah. Yeah. All good takeaways. Patience is definitely something I'm working on. It's hard to just be patient and you know slow you hit one milestone and it's a reminder too to just appreciate along the way like i just hit a thousand downloads and my goal for this year was two thousand like i know i'm gonna hit that and it's like you i wish certain phases away and i know i'm gonna get to a certain point and i'm gonna look back and be like i should have really enjoyed that and soak that in and been like you remember when it was I was at this place and I was trying to figure everything out. Like there's so many things along the way to celebrate and just appreciate because it really truly is about the journey. And that's why, you know, I love this platform. So, you know, the hardest thing is you're not going to do that though. Like, (laughs) I can't believe you know me too well. (laughs) I mean, like, you know, I wrap up Valentine's day and I'm like, I just did $400,000 in business in a week. And then I'm literally like, how many orders we got on for Monday? Like, like I'm literally like, and Mike's the same way. Like I just oh. finished a huge refinance. That's going to save me, you know, $18,000 a month. And you know what he's thinking is which one, what's next? Yeah. Like, right. I mean, that lasts for about five minutes. And what's then what's occupancy like, at? What's that? <laughs> yeah. What's occupancy? Yeah. <laughs> on something else. Yeah. It's a hard mentality to crack. I mean, I think that's why you like, I always get along with people, you know, like Mike and like you just cause it's, it's hard to unwire my brain. Like you don't even realize that you're doing it. And Mike's always tells me to chill out. Like, he's just like, it'll come, this will happen. Keep doing the right things and all this type of stuff. But it's hard when you're wired some way and like, this is where I want to go. And there's always more. Um, it's probably not the best way to live, but it's see if I, someone told me to relax. If, if I'm not working or sleeping, eating or working out, I don't know what to do with myself. I'm like, might as well 
do something else. Go teach a yoga class. Mike's like, you do way too much. So thank you so much for taking the time, Ron. Thank you for being on the podcast. And the last and final question of every episode, we'll start with Mike. It's his favorite question. What are you grateful for? Is like it's so not <laughs> something that comes naturally, you know, to me, which I'll, I will continue to work on. But uh, you know, right now I'm just grateful for the fact that you know I've got uh, friends like Ron that I can reach out to when I have questions about franchising, <laughs> and also that we just keep in touch over long periods of time. And no matter how long it's been, it, it always feels like you know we're still sitting at the JW Marriott <laughs> bullshitting about uh, our corporate jobs and what we're going to move on and do next, which I don't think either of us were sure about when we were talking about it. But, uh, you know, thank you, Ron, for being on the podcast. <laughs> My pleasure. And Ron, what are you grateful for? I mean, right now, I'd say what I'm most grateful for is like kind of future opportunities. Um, you know, I'm just, I'm just getting ready to divest of three businesses. I'm going to have the least amount of businesses that I've had in quite some time. And um, it's funny because I've got all these people like, what are you going to do next? You know, like I'm bankrupt or something like I need to get a job at like, yeah. you know, fast food restaurant. And I'm kind of like, I don't know, guitar lessons. Right. You know, So I'm like, I'm so I'm thinking about like, I'm grateful for the opportunity to maybe do a little bit of self-enrichment. Uh, you know, maybe to indulge in a business that isn't food service related, uh, you know, be able to reach out to guys that I know like Mike and maybe dabble in some real estate. Like I'm really looking forward to, um, you know, it's funny, like I'm looking forward to really getting to know the the staff that I have right now because I'm a little disconnected from them because I've had so many businesses and everything like that. So the chance to reconnect with some of those people and remind them that they are my customers and they are critically important to everything that I do. Cause there's, I mean, there's some people whose names I don't even know at this juncture. Right. So for me, I'm grateful for the fact that, you know, some of these businesses had sold and it's, it is going to give me an opportunity to reconnect with some of the people that have helped me get to the point of where I am right now and, and possibly try some new things. You're so much better at that gratitude thing than I am. That was fantastic. I'm definitely stealing future opportunities. If Aaron has me back on the podcast, I'm using that one. Yeah, call me before you're back on. Yes. Like, no, I'm, gonna, I'm calling you for the gratitude part. Mike says the same thing every time. And I'm like, Mike, you've done this podcast 14 times. How do you not know what the question is? It's like, it's like, you know what I mean? But but that's part of his style though, right? Like that's the authenticity about him that I love so much, right? Like I I think there's there's nothing like there's nothing that I want less than if anybody described me as like disingenuous, that would probably be that would break my heart, right? Like I would be crushed if somebody said that to me. And and they like that's the one thing I love about Mike is is he was always like even really before I even really knew him, he was just like, nah, man, you suck. Like, <laughs> you know, or like, hey, he'd be like, that was really good. Like, it, it, was, it was it was honestly, it was both ends of the spectrum, right? But like, that's that that's how it is. So he's, you know, he's just, that's how he built. And I like that about him a lot. Thank you. Oh, geez. Well, thank you both for being on. And for everyone out there, thanks for tuning in. And we will talk to you next week.